We have a right to be angry about what happened to us, and birth parents need to understand that. Hello, and a heartfelt welcome to all our listeners as we embark on season four of the Family Twist podcast. I'm Kendall Austin Stulst, and my life story is a tapestry of unexpected turns from being adopted as an infant to losing my adoptive parents by the time I was 17, and then in a twist of fate, finding my birth family through the magic of DNA testing in 2017. And I'm Corey Stoles, Kendall's partner on this life adventure. When we uncovered his paternal birth family's roots on the East Coast, I knew our next chapter was calling us there to mend the missing pieces of Kendall's heart with the love of newfound relatives. Our podcast began as a single thread, a narrative of my own, but it is woven into a vibrant quilt of stories celebrating the complexities of DNA surprises, adoption, donor conception, NPEs, surrogacy, and the myriad ways families come together. Together, we've been welcomed into an incredible community with each guest sharing their own family twist. And through it all, we found strength in each other. Thank you for letting us share our passion and these remarkable stories with you. The bonds we formed with you, our listeners, and the stories you've shared have only deepened our commitment to this journey. Family Twist isn't just a podcast. It's a celebration of the unexpected ties that bind us all. Thank you for joining us on this fantastic ride. We're so excited that you're back with us for part two of our season four premiere. Jeanette Yoff is a wonderful storyteller, and she really bears her soul in these two episodes. So if you're listening now and haven't listened to the first part, Please go back and listen to that first. It's really, really remarkable. All right. Now back to Jeanette's story. About a year later, I was in New York and I left a message. And I said, I would really love to see you. It's been over a year. I would love to see you. No response, no phone call, nothing. Hmm. So I attempted to call a few more times. I attempted to send another letter and still no response. And I've texted my aunt. I've spoken to my aunt. They've tried. He just will not. He's very, it's just too painful. He does not have the right support. They don't know how to support him. So we're in a standstill right now. Um, And and for me, and and when I work with adoptees, I always say, this is one of the things that I tell myself all the time. It is not a rejection of you. It is a reflection Mm -hmm. of his unresolved, their unresolved grief and loss, their own rejection sensitivity, their own denial, their own not having the support. You know, this is not our fault. This is society's fault, not supporting birth parents, right? So you and I right now are doing what needs to be done, talking about this, our grievances, sharing the vulnerability. I mean, this is pain. It's physically painful to feel abandoned, rejected by your own birth parent. Mm -hmm. It's so painful. So mental health treatment, you know, you learn how to cope. We learn how to cope. I am always telling myself, validating myself, supporting myself, my self-esteem, my confidence. I am not, we are not responsible for our birth parents' reactivity, 
unavailability, we now have to be responsible to ourselves and our own mental health. Mm-hmm. We can't make anybody uh, have reunion with us. We just can't. It's not that we won't. We can't. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really community is really important. And that's why I created Celia Center. Celia is my birth mother's name. A community. We need each other as adoptees to support each other uh, through this experience. We cannot do it alone. Do you know whether your birth father knows what you do for a living? I don't think he does. Oh, I mean, it just, that in itself would be so, I think, helpful for him to know, you know, if he could just know what you're doing as a result of being an adoptee yourself, you know? Yes, yes. I, I've thought about, I don't, I don't know why it's so interesting because I would love for him to read my play. And it's actually also on Audible. Mm -hmm. I recorded it like a radio play. It has sound cues. I did all the voices because it was a one-person show that I did perform. So I wrote in my preface, to my three families, although we lost touch in time and space, I will always hold on to your love and embrace. To all fellow adoptees and foster youth, your voice matters. Never, never, never give up. To the ghost on East 10th Street, may you find peace one day in your soul. Hmm. Yeah, he needs to hear that. (laughs) And forgive Um, yourself. Right. right. We bring love, right? We bring peace. We bring love. We bring healing. Yes, it will be scary at first, but then it will feel really, really good. Right. It will. You'll feel relieved. That's the goal of mental health, to feel a sense of relief. And when reunion is done well, and there's steps, and there's boundaries, and it's so possible. I know so many adoptees in wonderful reunions, open adoptions. I I do open adoptions now with kids as young as three years old. Mm Mm-hmm. So they don't have to go through what we're going through. Mm-hmm. Open adoption didn't exist for us. Nope. My parents would have been very open. My adoptive yes. parents would have been oh, very open to it. Exactly. Yeah. So for me, doing this work heals me also. Because I can now give this to the next generation. That lifts me up. And yes, there are days I have my hard days. Because it reminds me of my loss. We are Mm -hmm. always, it's a lifelong process, but it's not, my pain is not as intense, as frequent, and doesn't last as long because I've Mm -hmm. done the work. It's honoring the grief process, and that's a part of yourself as an adoptee and as a birth parent. We all have parts, the good parts, the bad parts, and there's no bad parts, They're all parts of us that need attention. We have a right to be angry about what happened to us, and birth parents need to understand that. And birth parents have a right to be angry that society does not support mothers keeping their children, right? Mm -hmm. Adoption, right? Push for adoption. Um, So not that I am not anti-adoption. There will always be children, orphan children, who need families. But I do believe as a society, we need to exhaust searching 
due diligence, finding birth family members to take care of that child, exhausting foster care if they can't go back to their birth families. But we need to exhaust these processes before going to adoption, right? Family mm-hmm. permanency, family reunification, family preservation. And there are programs all across the country. But I think we need to do better um, supporting birth families. So I'm a journalist, and so questions are popping into my head as, sure. as you're speaking. So. <laughs> sure. um, especially related to your birth parents. First one, when you were having conversations with Celia, did you get the sense or did she say that your parents were in love? Yes. Mm. Yes. She loved him. They loved each other. Mm. What happened was my mother had, um, I I believe, and I, you know, as a therapist, I've really looked at all the diagnoses and at the time, when I was born, they were in love. I lived with my birth parents for 15 months in New York City wow. at the same apartment on East 10th Street. Wow. Oh. And he was still living there. Think about that when I found oh. him. And so she became pregnant again with my brother. And it, when she was seven months pregnant, she learned that her mother in Argentina was dying. Mm-hmm. So she started experiencing, and what we're understanding is she may have done drugs, Mm. some drugs to cope, right? Um, She was in New York City on a work visa. Um, She wasn't coping well. She wasn't coping well. Mm -hmm. And apparently uh, she had gone to a doctor and said she was having thoughts about hurting me because she was so overwhelmed. And that's Mm -hmm. when they deemed her unsafe to parent me. And then I was placed in foster care. Now my brother was then born and this would, as you know, cause strain on the relationship. She didn't tell my father that she was placing me in foster care. Now she didn't understand apparently what foster care was. And this is the seventies. And adoption was prevalent. Young, healthy babies were commodities, unfortunately, in the 70s. They saw this woman stressed. She thought she was signing. This is what she told me, us. She was signing documents for child care for only a few weeks because she Mm -hmm. needed to go back to Argentina to go visit her mother who was dying. And she had a new baby on the way. She thought it was childcare. You know, you're an immigrant in the United States. You don't know what foster care is, and no one was educating her. So, right there, there were a lot of bad practices in the '70s hmm. with mothers. Um, now, was I there? No, but I have all my foster care paperwork, which I got right before the pandemic. I have six files of paperwork, so I, I was able to see that they did make an attempt my brother and I to be reunified with our birth family in Argentina between the Argentinian consulate and New York state. And that, that really made me feel very good that they were pushing for family preservation. Mm-hmm. But um, it was my father who did not want us to go to another country. He wanted us to be adopted in the United States, which is also strange to us. I'm like, 
and and then the fact that we find you and you don't want to know us. Okay. Right. <laughs> it's just strange. Right. So, yeah. so going back to my parents' relationship, just in a nutshell, is this caused major strain on their relationship. He was shocked when she signed this paperwork because he came home from work and said, where's Jeanette? I know he left me. She said, oh, she's at the agency. And he said, what? I'm, I could just imagine the conversation. He was livid. Mm -hmm. He was confused. And that caused more stressors. She started experiencing more psychotic episodes. She started hallucinating. Mm -hmm. And then my brother was placed in the foster care system in the Bronx. So we were also separate mm -hmm. from my biological full sibling. So yeah, um, they were in love and you know, life happens, life happens to us, right? And if we don't have the right mental health support, families can just break, become broken. And it still happens today. I mean, yeah. I'm working in child welfare in the foster care system. There's so many kids and there's so many families that need help, you know, with addiction, and addiction is one of the number one reasons, which then leads mm -hmm. to why children are placed. And then what happens is there's physical abuse, sexual abuse, uh, which is a result of the addiction. And, and then we have mental health disorders compounding that. Untreated mental health disorders lead to more addiction. Uh, so it's, it's complex. I mean, mental health, finally, I think, you know, we're erasing the stigma of mental health treatment. Mm -hmm. It is good to go to therapy. It is healthy to go to therapy. Let's take the shame out of therapy. Right. And, and you're not a bad person if you've made some bad choices. And we all have a sense of shame. And we need to have more greater self-compassion when we make a mistake, we're not the mistake. The mistake is the mistake. Separate yourself from the choices you've made. Validate yourself first. And this is a technique that I teach people. It's called the shame witch. <laughs> the bread on the <laughs> bottom is your good best friend voice. You're a good person. You say positive, encouraging statements. Then you put all the emphasis on the turkey, the lettuce, the pickle, and the tomato, and the stuff in the sandwich. Put the emphasis on that. That's the problem. That's what I'm going to figure out. That's what I'm aware of. I'm dealing with anxiety, this stressor. I'm angry about this. I'm going to figure that out. And then the bread on top is, again, you're a good person. You're doing the best that you can. You're figuring this out. Learn to love yourself. You can love yourself. You can convince yourself you're valuable by repeating it over and over to reframe how you're talking to yourself. Sometimes we're not even, even aware of our negative cognitions. And awareness True. is key. It's okay to go, wow, I'm really hard on myself. Let me take a step back from that and be a little softer with myself. Mm -hmm. Life is already hard. I don't need to be hard on myself. Right? Reach out. Mm -hmm. I love this quote. Fall reaching. Dustin Hoffman. That's Dustin Hoffman. He struggled with addiction. But he learned to reach out for help. Mm -hmm. So 
We could talk for hours, Kendall and Corey. Sure. No, yes, we could. I know. I I, I want to be mindful of the of the of the time you've uh, given <laughs> sure. us. Uh, There's just so many layers, right? And they're yep. interconnected and compounded and connected and complicated and in not integrated. There's mm-hmm. it's chaotic. It's hard to organize. Actually, I created a course during COVID. It's a self-led mental health course called The Archaeology of You. And it's focusing on processing the grief, your primal wound grief within you. And so I take you on a visualization and you go inside of yourself, in your mind, into your chambers of grief. And we process it together. And you have a workbook. And it's only one hour and you can do it multiple times. You can do it a little bit at a time, right? Because you have to start somewhere, right? If you don't feel comfortable mm-hmm. going and seeing a therapist, well, you can read a self-help book, take a self-led mental health course, right? Start dose by dose, a little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. Well, we're very invested in your story, and I assume the audience is as well. So there's a couple of things hanging out there that we don't know. One, how did you reunite with your brother when you were both placed in the foster system? That's a good question, because bringing us together was our father, surprisingly. Hmm. After I had found him and he rejected me, it was about six years later. Yeah, six years ago, right when I was ready to move to Los Angeles. This was six months Hmm. before I was moving to Los Angeles. I get a message on my voicemail machine that (laughs) this is the the 90s and (laughs) before cell phones. And it was a woman's voice who said, I have information about your biological family. Please... uh, I will call you back tomorrow at the same time, nine o'clock. Hopefully you're home and I can tell you more. So of course the next day, oh my gosh, who is this? Um, I'm waiting by the phone, waiting by the phone. The phone rings. I'm expecting her voice. And it's a young man's voice. And, And he says, hi. And I'm thinking, okay, this is not her. Who is this? Right. Right. I said, um, Hi, like, I'm not expecting this call. Like, can I help you? And he said, it's me. It's Patrick. I'm your brother. And I dropped the phone. I was shocked, shocked. Started tearing. And I said, is this the phone call I've been expecting? He said, yes. He goes, that's my girlfriend. (laughs) I was too scared to leave you a message. He said, our birth father, because you've written him and I had written him after he rejected me on the phone. I did write him a letter, as you know. He said, I found our birth father also. He wrote me back. I said, he did? Hmm. <laughs> and he said, yeah. I, I, and, and then we talked about this. I think it was easier for him hmm. to write back my brother because he had stronger attachment to me. Right. I, sure. I worked with him mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, the grief. And so he said, he gave me your address. I called 
your mother's house. And she then gave me your number because I was living in Brooklyn at the time. Uh, and mm. I said, wow. So we then decided, well, let's meet. Like we have to meet. He was in the Bronx. I was in Brooklyn. So we met on top of the Empire State Building in New York City. Oh, <laughs> so cool. <laughs> and wow. and shockingly, one little piece more is he had the letter from our birth father. And the first line read, I have so much guilt, 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 mm. guilt, period. And in the letter, he gave us a picture of our birth mother. Mm. And it was the first time I saw her. And I was 25. Wow. And talk about genetic mirroring. She was a direct reflection wow. of me. So, so, yeah. So now we've, you know, we're very close. Our families spend time together. And then I also have a half sister who lives in Spain and we all share the same mother. So, wow. So our mother also had a child previous to me. Um, so I have a sister, me, and my brother. And my wow. birth father has no wow. more children and did oh, not boy, remarry. That was my next question. Yep, and did not have any more intimate relationships because he has his the seven core vulnerabilities. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, just what, I, and I get grief from our editor for saying I got chills, but I just did because <laughs> when you read the line, you know, the the first le- line that he wrote to your brother, I mean, it just it says so much. Exactly. He wasn't able to say that to you, exactly. but he. So th- this is this is taken over his life. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. It's it, it's so hard for birth parents. And I think for adoptees, it's so hard. And that's why today in best practice, we need to do better to support birth parents in understanding how important you are to your children. When I speak to birth parents, I go, you are so important. You matter deeply. Your child will understand the circumstances. I will help you. We will help the child because it will help both of you to have reunion, be in an open adoption. It will heal your wounds, Mm -hmm. your grief. It will lessen the grief, but it doesn't take it away. It will lessen it because this is a life-altering event. It affects everyone. It's a lifelong process. But it will help mend the pain of this mm-hmm. ambiguous experience. How, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, had your brother, did he always know that you were existed? He was he, so young. So I was in foster care for six and a half years. Mm-hmm. So when I went, was placed in foster care. Our social worker actually, I don't even think they told me. Or they may have, but I was confused. I was six, um, and I'm six years old, and my social worker comes to the house, and at the front door, there's this little boy. And I look, and they tell me in that moment, this is your brother. And so he was seven. He's 13 months younger than me. I look, and we look just like each other. We then went to Burger King. We had visas made. I have the visa. Mm. And the look on my face is utter confusion. 
What's happening here? Mm-hmm. The social worker then tells us, you're both going to fly, go on a plane ride for a long, long time and go to Argentina and go live with your family. And it's all in my play. I talk, I, I bring you into my bird's eye view and we hear this little girl talking about like, what's happening here? And then I never saw him again. The rug had been pulled out under. So we met. So we knew about each other. But I never saw him again. Because mm-hmm. at that time, our aunt and uncle on our birth mother's side did not, they were having stressors in their marriage. They did not feel that they could care for two children at that time, mm-hmm. under the age of three at that time. Um, so they actually said, we can't do this. And that's why we remained in the United States. And that's when I, at age seven, went to another home because I was in a foster home. At that time, it wasn't foster care to adoption like it is today. Right. So then I had another separation, which is also traumatic. Um, And I still have a relationship with my foster family. I still see them. I still know them. They're also, you know, they're a part. They helped grow me up. They were a family to me. So that's why I say in my book, I have love for my three families. Yeah. And there are children who have multiple. True. Fortunately. True. Mm -hmm. I know we're going to, Kendall and I are going to go back and and listen to this conversation just because there's so much to comprehend and unpack. Right. how How do we get some of these messages to a woman who refuses to talk about it with her family and refuses, you know, contact with them. How do you deliver an aha moment to somebody? By listening to a podcast like this, an episode like this, right? If your sister, I don't know, you know, your situation, but if your sister, let her listen to it. I don't know. And then ask her, could you then sit with, your mother cannot do this alone. Can she sit no. with her and listen? Just listen. Yeah. Just. I think it listen. could be super helpful for her um, because I have thought of doing the thing that you did. I have many times joked with Corey and said, I'm jumping on a plane. Mm-hmm. I'm just showing up at her house. <laughs> I know where her house is. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I, to your point, I don't, I think she might react exactly as your father did and could not process that, you know? And I also don't want, you know, I don't want to, I feel like for her, because she does seem so ill-equipped to handle it, I feel like that would be really detrimental to her. And to your previous point, I have never thankfully felt rejection in general. Like I came from just wonderful adoptive parents who they were making things up because they didn't know my real story. But ironically, they kind of told me the truth on accident because they would say things like, well, you know, maybe your birth mother and father were so young that they couldn't keep you, which is exactly, they didn't know it, but that's exactly what happened. And I think because of that, I didn't feel the level of rejection that probably other children do. And like, you know, feeling like it's my fault. I never, Uh you know, did. Yeah, because I can hear it. Your mother put the emphasis on them. 
It wasn't about right. you. It was about right. Me. And you know, she. I love. Um, this always makes me emotional, but I love that my mother, my adoptive mother, would always say, and father would always say, you know. Most moms and dads get stuck with whatever kid, you know, is born to them, but we got to pick you. You know, they always had this such, such a positive spin on, you know, it, it wasn't all, you know, rainbows and roses. It was, you know what I mean? Like it was a struggle for them and they had three babies that they lost three miscarriages. Mm -hmm. And so there is a lot of their story that of course, as I was a toddler, they weren't going to tell me, which made good sense, but it's so, I just have so much respect for the way that they told me my story. Was some of it fabricated a little bit, but they were just giving me the way that it could be. That's right. <laughs> it was, wonderful. Yes. It, it was a fantasy at and some now, point, but that though, was okay. Now you're in a very vulnerable situation. Right, right. And, and I've just always been um, lucky in my life, I think. I do think it's luck at some level to be so accepted by people. So I, I don't, I guess I don't, maybe what I'm having a hard time understanding is the reason for the rejection, you know, and I, I know it stems from her insecurities and, and things, but it's just, you we know, assume. we assume we really I, don't know. It's I don't one know. Of the I mean, four I, vulnerabilities. It's one of the core yeah. or multiple. Right. Her shame, her fear of you rejecting her, her guilt. How can she forgive herself? Mm -hmm. um, her pain to see you because when she sees you, it also reminds her of all the lost time. She hasn't been able to be with you. How mm. can I possibly make up for that lost time? Right. Right. I yeah. would imagine, Jeanette, that just the little bit of experience you had with your birth father had to be healing. Oh, yes. And, and I'd love your advice about um, having her listen to this episode because... Kendall doesn't need somebody to make him chocolate chip cookies every other day exactly. or to bandage his knee. He just needs acknowledgement. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I want to read one of the posts that we put. Oh, it's so powerful. What are adoptees seeking in reunion? A friend, a relative, a confidant, an advisor, older counsel. You are the wise one. You matter to us greatly. Hmm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am curious. Uh, you got us both crying over Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is easy. It's easy to have me cry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, he, cry he at he the gets drop going, of a hat. Yeah, every, every other episode. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's... I'm a little harder. Yeah. I just... I do, I've always had that sort of sentimentality. Um, but it's particularly personal, right? <laughs> it's, it's everything that guests on this podcast say seems to trigger, um, good, good things. You know, it, there, it's positive, um, for me to talk about, but it triggers emotions, uh, for me and that's good. Yeah. I am curious. You mentioned that you have meetings that are available. They sound like they're 
potentially in person, which wouldn't work for me. But if you ever have options that are virtual, I'd be interested in diving into that. I am still trying to find my footing with, you know, the the community. Um, and yes. I can definitely find value in the, the support. Yes, you'll be surprised to know that we actually have an upcoming mental health conference that's virtual. It's two days. Oh. It's November 10th yep. and 11th. And I'll email you the link. And cool. we have an array of sessions, uh, panelists, of adult adoptees, foster youth alumni, adoptive parents, birth parents. Uh, so again, we include everyone in our in the constellation. And it's healing. It, it's about healing, mm-hmm. understanding, listening, and knowing what's best practice in adoption today. So I'll mm-hmm. send you a link to that. Now, our support groups are virtual. We have an adult adoptee virtual support group. We have a few in-person support groups for families connected by adoption. And we have the birth mother support group and we have an adoptive parent support group. So everyone is supported. Oh, and that's another resource for your birth mother. If and when she listens to this, she feels, you know what, I, I do want to talk with other and understand how this could work. Let me, let me just little dose at a time. Let me hear other women's mm-hmm. stories. And that recording, actually, everything will be recorded. We are recording the birth mother panel. I'm also happy, and you know, if you're coming to the conference, to give you a copy of that so she can privately watch that with your sister, because she needs to see other women like her. Right modeling for her how to do this and one mm-hmm. of the birth mothers on the panel her son just moved in with her now that's not going to happen for you you're an no, adult no but <laughs> no like it's okay you can have a relationship with the child that you relinquish to adoption you can forgive yourself society forgives you these forgive you and we're sorry that society didn't support you Mm-hmm. Being able to repair, recalibrate, and have a reunion with your child in a healthy way. Yeah. And there are boundaries that need to be put in place. And I'll send you that too. At our last conference, we said, what are the best practices in reunion? Because people often, they get too close too fast, and then they end up rejecting each other, right? At, <laughs> then we have third rejection. So mm-hmm. we have eight principles to put into place before having a reunion. So you have a structure because this is emotional. It, it's messy. It's complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you do need structure. And when you see the structure and you put the structure in place, it works. It mm-hmm. works. So I'll send you that too. Uh, so Wonderful. that. She can see you can make choices. There are options. This is manageable. It's manageable. And it's possible. Very good. Thank you so much for the resources. Can't be anything but helpful. (laughs) So Celia Center has a blog. And it's how to prepare for reunion. Mm -hmm. We have a blog of multitude of topics. How to search for your family through DNA. The birth mother's point of view how she feels about her experience, the adoptee's point of view, how he or she feels, the adoptive parent's perspective on open adoption, right? 
with articles on many different topics, supporting all of us in this experience. About It's about us and we, mm-hmm. not us and them. It's we. We are figuring right. this out together today. Hmm. Jeanette, one of my favorite things about being a, a journalist is researching potential sources and, and guests for this podcast. And my instinct has only been wrong once, <laughs> which which fortunately, though, led to another really, really good interview. And my gut was right with you. I, I knew when I read about you immediately that we had to have you on. And oh, this you. has been really insightful and emotional and helpful. Thank you for providing this space to talk about this. I have compassion for birth parents that struggle with reunion. I do. I have love. I have so much love to give. Us adoptees, we have so much love. And we're just people like everybody else. Mm-hmm. We just want to be heard, seen, and received by our right. families of origin. Put yourself in our shoes for one minute. To lose all of that, your genetic heritage, and you're placed in a strange situation with people who are unfamiliar, doesn't mean that adoption is not loving and giving. And yes, it provides you an opportunity for a better life or to be provided for in in a better way. However, you lose everything. True. Yeah. Let's be it's honest. True, and I think acknowledging that is is super relieving. <laughs> I, I really do think it is, because I don't often think of my situation that way. But you're absolutely right. Um, as good as my adoptive parents were to me, I was still living that. You know, the the question. I think we. As children who don't get to stay with our birth parents, we're always questioning, were my mom and dad right? Were my birth parents just super young or was I just rejected? You know, you always have that in the back of your mind until you really learn your truth. Of course. And you have a, it's your birthright to ask questions. We have a right to know, as you interviewed. (laughs) Yeah. We have a right to know. It's our birthright. So you do have a right to see her and potentially, and I hear you, it's a step-by-step process. I literally draw Mm -hmm. steps on a piece of paper and go, okay, what's the first step here? (laughs) We need structure. Mm -hmm. Let's just start by writing letters to each other, right? Because you Mm -hmm. have to assess everybody's situation is different, how to facilitate a healthy reunion. So maybe start here with this, with your birth mother, and see if that can build a bridge brick by brick. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think where I struggle is that I'm an impatient person to begin with. And as six years have passed, I'm getting more and more impatient, you know, like let's make this happen now, you know, Right. but I have to, Mm -hmm. but to a previous point that you made, you know, you can't force anyone. Right. And so, um, I, I let go of that idea. But now it's just... Um, well, you can show up at the bar they frequent. and <laughs> There you go. There's that. There's that. Which I would totally do. Uh, but yeah, in fact, my, I don't, my mother's not still doing it. But when I first found 
the birth family, she was working, I think, part time in a local diner. And I had this recurring dream that I just popped into the diner and sat at the bar and ordered a turkey burger from, you know what I mean? Like just, <laughs> yes. it, it, it's so funny how the very same actions recurred in my dream over and over again, because at that moment, it felt like the only avenue I had. Yeah. She physically lives next door to my baby sister, but I would never, I don't want right. my sister to be put into that situation. It's already awkward. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. It but, takes a lot of thinking and figuring out. and But I think this next step could be a good next step for you. Education mm -hmm. is key. It really is. And Absolutely. I think you've inspired me. I am going to mail this to my aunt and have her give it to him. Perfect. You may not yeah. read it, but, you know. Hey, if he's right? curious <laughs> at all, yeah. how could he not? All we can do is try. And, That's right. And sometimes we try and it, and it doesn't work in our favor. And then we do need to compartmentalize it, put it on the shelf and continue with our life. Mm -hmm. And that's the hard part. It can be hard. However, find yourself in a community, other adoptees. Yep. And yes, right? There's time for your life and there's time for the past. And there's only so much we can do because we mm -hmm. want to be in the present. Right, right, right. And it's funny, you know, you're a successful person and I have always felt successful in my life in general. I'm not talking about wealth. I'm talking about, you know, just su success. And so this feels like a weird little part of my life where I haven't been successful. Like yeah. I haven't made this woman understand how wonderful I am. You know what I mean? Like I'm a, a being a little bit silly, but I mean, it's true. It's like, gosh, just get to know me just 1% of my personality, you know, that's all just a little bit, exactly. you know, but we'll exactly. see. Exactly. We'll see. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I share your loss. We share the same loss and I'm holding that with you. Mm -hmm. And what's shareable mm -hmm. is more bearable. Absolutely. Yeah. Jeanette, I love that you're planning to send your play now. Um, because remember, um, he did open his vault for you once before mm -hmm. and it was a very positive thing. So, you know, he's still got the combination to the vault. It could be reopened. <laughs> Maybe he'll put this Corey in loves, there. That's <laughs> right. right. Exactly right. We'll Corey loves an analogy, but I they do, usually I work. Do, yeah. <laughs> thank you so, so much. This has been oh. incredible. Uh, well, so thank you for having me. And I'm so glad we could talk about this. You know, it could really move people. And that's why you do what absolutely. you do. So thank you for right. all that you do. You know, putting Thank this you. out there and sharing some difficult conversations, which need to be had. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. We'll have a wonderful rest of the weekend Thank and you. Uh, we'll be back in contact. Yeah. All right. Sounds We're good. Gonna... You too. Have a great weekend. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye now. Bye. I'd almost forgotten what it would mean to me to get access to my original birth certificate. And now I have a renewed interest in pursuing that because I believe that the laws have changed in Arkansas where I was born, making it much easier to receive an original birth certificate. Kendall and I believe in the therapeutic power of storytelling, as demonstrated by Jeanette's journey and her work in helping others process their adoption experience. We urge you to share your stories with us as a way to heal and connect with others. 
Family Twist features original music from Cosmic Afterthoughts and is presented by Savoir Faire Marketing Communications. 